Hey guys, this is Chris Bercher, and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Thanks for checking out uh, what I got to say, and uh, for those of you who have watched my videos or listened to my podcast or visited my website in the past, I really appreciate that. But I want to ask something of you guys today. If you like what I'm doing, if, you, if you've made it through a video or watched part of a video or listened to part of my podcast, um, what you can do by going to my YouTube channel, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom on YouTube, you can look for the Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or you can just uh, visit my website on Fridays or sign up for the email announcements. I release new episodes every Friday, and you can find links to these things uh, every Friday morning on my webpage, which is www.chrisbercher.com, C-H-R-I-S-B-U-R-C-H-E-R. Uh, but having said that, you know, um, one of the things that bugs me about podcasts and YouTubers and is this uh, idea of an influencer. And when I set out to do this, I, the, the idea in my mind was sort of as being the anti-influencer. Uh, because one of the things that bugs me, and you can revisit one of my earlier episodes about um, marketing and solicitation, is that I don't want to force anything down anybody's throats and I, and I don't want to... Um, Use the power of manipulative uh, marketing and advertising to to coerce people um, to listen to my show. So I've, I've taken an approach with this that's you know what I sort of think of as being anti-influencer by not doing any of that sort of guerrilla marketing stuff. And I don't even really know what that means. But the downside to that is I don't do a whole lot of advertising. I don't do any advertising. I mean, I have a Facebook page. I have Instagram, Twitter. Uh, my webpage, YouTube channel, and then the the podcast feeds going out to the various um, podcast servers. And 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 I guess what I'm what I'd like to ask of you, which I haven't asked. This is um, coming up on episode twenty now, and I haven't asked you guys to do anything yet. Is um, it, you know, think if you like what you see, if you do listen to what I say, if, if it provokes your thoughts, or even if you think it's silly, if you could just. Um, you know, like the video or comment on the video or leave a message on the web page or subscribe to the podcast. Um, you know, I just I'm curious to see what the power of a word of mouth sort of movement looks like. Um, and I imagine it's it's probably pretty small. You know, I'm not going to get a thousand followers a week or anything like that. Um, but, I'm, you know, you know, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not doing much. Uh, to, to generate new, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make, you know, my, you know, anybody that I've seen comment or follow or, or subscribe or any of those things to me, that's very organic. That's somebody who's made the decision for themselves that, uh, they're picking up what I'm laying down or whatever that is, which I think is really cool. And that's an organic way to sort of build a, a community for discourse. Um, but if you have found yourself not participating in that for whatever reason, maybe you're anti-guerrilla marketing the same way I am, and you don't want to reward me with that kind of thing or whatever. Um, anyway, I'd like to encourage you to maybe do that, to to participate in this thing so we can sort of look at that organic growth and um, you know track that just to see what it looks like. Um, anyway, I haven't really encouraged anybody to do that before. Uh, but if you would be so kind, that'd be great. And then I can sort of track that and I'll share with you, um, you know, whatever those results are. The only numbers I have so far is I think, um, the podcast and the, the videos have been downloaded something like, you know, a hundred, couple hundred times, uh, in total, you know, something like 10 
views per episode. You know, and I'm not, I'm not judging that. I'm not, that's a, that's the number, and that's what it is. And I don't feel like I've that is a result of coercion or any kind of trickery. Uh, that that reflects what I believe to be the honest truth of what's out there. And I think that's pretty cool. And I don't really want to change that. Um, but anyway, I appreciate you listening to that sort of commercial and that four minutes or whatever, hopefully is uh, all I'll need to do for another 20 episodes. So anyway, this is episode 20. Believe it or not, I had to double check my notes to make sure that's right. Cause that's, um, pretty amazing to me and that I just don't seem to be running out of things to talk about. And this episode is going to be called Enough. And that's something that I struggle with uh, a lot. And I think it's common to humans to sort of to sort of um, feel like we just don't ever have enough. And if we get that one more thing, uh, or, the, or if we, we reach some goal, then that will be enough. And then that, that, that having enough will change something. You know, Dak Shepard on the Armchair Expert podcast always says that he thought when he had a million dollars, that would be enough money and he'd be happy. Or if somebody gets the right job, that would be enough of a accomplishment to be happy. You know, usually we associate having enough of whatever it is with some amazing result of changing our entire life uh, and getting rid of all of our problems. And so that's what that's the sort of concept I want to talk about today. And um, one of the one of the phrases that comes to mind and it was a it was a po- armchair expert podcast and it was a neuroscientist named Judd something I can't remember his last name but he quoted maybe um Vanderbilt or or one of the um one of the uh the bear the railroad barons I can't think of their name um one of the, one of the famous people um that someone asked him one time how much is enough money because he, I think he was maybe the first billionaire, and uh, he said, "How much is enough money? Just a little bit more." And, and I think that the key there is we we buy into this idea of having we have this idea of what enough is, and we think that when we get it, that's going to change things, and then it doesn't, and so we end up wanting just a little bit more, and we get that, and that doesn't change it either, and so we just want a little bit more, and it becomes this this rat race, like the episode about being in the rat race. And the error there, and, I, and that's what I really want to get to today, is that we think we know what enough is, when in reality, I think what we need to do is, is allow what is enough to be what is what we have, <laughs> or something to that effect, and just sort of change our, our idea of what enough is, and allow, and admit that we probably don't know what that is, and then the question comes up is, well, we can, can we be okay? What if what we have was enough? Would that change anything? And then secondarily, of course, uh, uh, identifying the erroneous thinking that it, once we have enough, it's going to change something because it, it won't. You know, my, my wife and I uh, have this uh, secret dream of, of selling everything once the kids are grown, uh, most the older kids are grown, and buying a sailboat and, um, you know, changing our lifestyle like that. And I worry that... Um, that dream has this associated belief that that will be enough and that change will, um, you know, take care of, uh, or solve whatever problems that we have. And and the point that I've been trying to make lately to convince myself and also to, to convince her 
is that until we've dealt with whatever the underlying problems are, the, the, buying a sailboat is, is just we're just going to have the same problems uh, on the sailboat, <laughs> and that actually won't be enough to change anything. And uh, if we really want to be happy, we have to change those things first. And so that's sort of the, the, the place that I'm operating from currently in my studies of, of the Buddhist thought um, is, is what is enough. And my favorite rule of thumb probably in the world is the, the idea or the concept of a cost-benefit analysis and the law of diminishing returns. And I don't know who came up with this, but it's one of those things I remember learning in general economics in college, a class which I, I got a D in, by the way. But I do do remember this um, law, and I apologize to you podcast listeners because I'm going to show a figure here of what that looks like. But if you can imagine with me for a minute uh, a simple figure with an x-axis and a y-axis, and in this example of economics, the x-axis or the independent variable is the cost, and that cost is going to go up from nothing to a lot across as you move sort of left to right across that x-axis and then going up the y-axis is going to be your benefit and at the bottom or the point of origin at the zero point is you know no benefit all the way up to a very high benefit going sort of south to north or up and uh, um, down to up so you got that laid out and then what the relationship looks like is as your your cost goes up, your dependent variable starts to increase. The more money you spend or the more effort you put into something, as that goes up slowly, as sort of a like, well, not slowly at first, um, and almost along an exponential curve at first where the cost is going up um, fairly slowly, but the benefit goes up pretty quickly. So as you put some effort into something, you're going to see a result and that's going to give you some sort of benefit um, as you start to increase. And then what happens is that's going to create, reach almost a 45 degree line and continue to go up uh, where you've almost got a one-to-one ratio, you know, one unit of effort or one unit of expenditures, one unit of cost is going to result in one unit of benefit. And that's a pretty fair point, right? That's a pretty good return on your investment. And then what's going to happen then is that line is going to start to flatten out and eventually it will it will be parallel to the x-axis and at that point you're putting in increased cost or effort or expenditures but you're not getting any more benefit. And then eventually at the end of that curve it's actually going to turn down. So it looks kind of like a you know kind of like an S uh, that curves off at the end and starts to go back down toward the origin. And what that downward turn describes is you're actually at a point where you're putting in more effort or spending more money and you're, you're, you're getting a lower return than you were at a lower expense rate. So a couple of things about this, and um, probably the most important one, back to that 45-degree angle where you're putting in a little some effort and you're getting an equivalent amount of return, that's basically the inflection point of that curve where it switches from a positive relationship to a negative relationship, not, not in those sort of mathematical terms, but where the balance of cost and return is good, and then that starts to shift. At the lowest end of the curve, you're putting in a lot of effort and not getting as big a return. But along that 45-degree line is, is sort of the magic um, cost-benefit analysis. When you start to spend more than that, your return starts to decrease and then eventually it decreases so much that you're, it's really not worth it anymore. And without a basic understanding of how that works, and I would argue, you know, I, I, I do this all the time 
uh, when, when I was teaching, I did this all the time with my students. I would change the labels of the graph to put sort of a, an effort on the x-axis and then what I called a happiness factor on the y-axis. And you think about it like that. The more effort you put into something, you want to get some sort of benefit, some 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 happiness factor. And if you really want to, to, to um, preserve or conserve your energy, you don't want to be way out on the right hand side of that curve because that's where you're putting in more effort, but you're not getting anything out of it. And at some point you're actually getting less out of it. And so you don't want to be out there and you have to be aware of where you are. You want to back up to that 45 degree spot where the amount of effort you're putting in, it's giving you sort of a commensurate amount of benefit. You want to manage, I would argue your life to stay in that sort of area. Um, and sort of related to that, I've mentioned before here that in, in college, people would call me uh, Mr. 88 because I would always get an 88%. Um, so if you wanted to put grade on the test on that y-axis and the amount of studying that you do on the x-axis there so that your grade is a function of your effort, it's the same sort of thing for, for me anyway. I, I, I exhibited a... Um, you know, a, a, a similar curve, uh, so to speak, because if I, if I didn't study at all, I would get some really low grade, but along that 45 degree line, if I studied somewhere between, I don't know, let's put some arbitrary numbers on there, you know, somewhere between two hours and four hours, it didn't matter. I would still get an 88 or two hours and t- 10 hours. I would still get an 88 and beyond that 10 hours, I really never would do any better than that, except in rare cases. So it's like, there was this magic point where if 40 hours of studying doesn't get me any better grade than two hours of studying, then I need to change my life, you know, and that was a reliable enough relationship. And it was, um, I'm just going to study two hours and call it a day. And, and, you know, that way I've gotten the same return for a much lower cost. And that's what we want. It's sort of like buying stock or buying real estate. You want to buy low and sell high, you know, that's the 45 degree angle. You don't want to, you know, spend, way too much money on a house and then later on down the road lose money when you sell it that would be sort of the tipping point where that that curve starts to go back down toward the x-axis and at the same time you don't want to be at the early stages of that where you spend you know a minimal amount of money for less return you're in the same sort of relationship you want to find some sweet spot where the the total amount of energy that you have that you spend produces Somewhere in the range of a good result, somewhere, you know, in the middle, (laughs) Um, which is funny to say sort of the middle because that's where this sort of falls out. Now, I'll argue that it's not the middle necessarily, but the higher end of the middle. And again, that 45 degree line, you you put in a little bit more effort, you're going to get a commensurate amount of return. So if it's you have to prioritize your life, what is this thing that you're doing a cost benefit analysis of is it how long it takes you to get to work how much money you spend on gas a week you know some of these benign things that you know may not be that important then maybe it's not worth putting in more effort to get a little bit more return even though it scales at a one-to-one ratio or whatever for every other dollar you spend on gas you're actually getting you know better gas mileage, but maybe you just don't like going to the gas station that many times a week because it really isn't that big a deal. But now maybe this is a relationship with your significant other, in which case you would want to put in a lot of energy into this particular thing, but not more 
than passing the point of diminishing returns or the inflection point, but maybe you're going to operate higher up along that 45 degree angle because you want a higher return. Um, you know, if it's like the x-axis is the, real, the effort that you put into your relationship and the y-axis now becomes your partner's satisfaction, you probably want to manage that particular thing at a higher end of effort and a higher end of return, um, but not beyond that. And in that sort of example, you know, you can think of putting in more effort um, uh, to actually creating a problem um, with your relationship. And I sort of exemplify this because I tend to be a uh, nurturing uh, codependent you know, or lean towards that sort of behavior. And what happens there is if I put in 100% of my energy into trying to make my relationships healthy, what I end up doing is costing myself energy because I've put it all into this one basket. Now I don't have the energy to do things like play music or be creative or do these podcasts, things that make me uh, a likable and interesting person. And so that starts to have a cost to the independent variable, the dependent variable, which is my wife's happiness, because I become a less happy person to, to sort of see how that works. And that explains that, that tailing off uh, of the return. But you know, for me, this is one of those mathematical graphical relationships that just holds and uh sure you you just like anything you can find an exception to where this doesn't work but for the most part uh it's a law a rule whatever you want to call it um that i use to to measure the quality of my life or sort of um my actions my path you know um i I use it as a as a metric or a, a measure of different metrics in my life to make sure that I'm sort of living the, the way that I want to live. Um, and, um, yeah, well, there's a, as that curve starts to flatten off, that's called an asymptote. And that's, you don't want to live in an asymptotic world because for every major increase in effort that you put in, you're getting such a marginal return. And this is why I've never understood why giant businesses want to be giant businesses because, early on in a business is, you know, and of course this works in economics because I think that's why this curve was created. I don't understand why you would want to spend more and more money to get smaller and smaller and smaller margins. And at some point, you know, theoretically that could again dip to where you're spending more money and actually now you start to lose money. But sometimes the, 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 the cost benefit analysis uh, the law of diminishing returns asymptotes out and will actually, you know, continue for a long time before it actually dips. Um, and to me, it's just not worth it to get a, a penny on a dollar or, you know, a penny on a thousand dollars or a penny on a million dollars. Um, and, and that's just always escaped me. And surely someone out there smarter than me can explain why that's a smart thing and why you might want to do that in some cases in your life. But for me, once that, once the benefit starts to diminish, you know, the, 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 the incremental gains on the Y axis start to get smaller and smaller. That means I'm putting more and more into it. And I start to say, whoa, 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 okay, this is when we need to quit. And where, and where this really matters, I think is in prioritizing your life. Um, my wife suffers from, um, you know, a, 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 um, an enhanced, sense of responsibility and achievement. And this is why she is the, you know, the, the, one of the greatest anesthesiologists there is, uh, in this area and just doctor in general and, and person. 
But when you put 100% of your energy into everything, you're going to run out of energy. And so being able to prioritize what you do well and where you spend your energy is critical because we as organic carbon-based beings, uh, heterotrophic beings that have to consume energy to expend energy, there's, a, there's, an, there's an energy budget for us as individuals and really probably us as a race and a species and a community, races and species and community, where we simply cannot live in a world where we expend 100% of our energy on everything. It just doesn't add up. It's just simple math. Anybody can do that math. Um, if all of the things in your life that are important to you have an associated uh, energetic cost, and they do, um, then you have to be careful how you spread your energy out. And I think this is a big problem in the world today, and certainly in the United States, where we want, A, just to be good at everything, um, we want to get the maximum benefit out of everything. We all want to have the big house and the right car and the, you know, the best job. And all these things have to be so good um, that as we learn to pursue that sort of level of achievement, it becomes we become fanatical. Uh, and, and this is another you know, sort of element of, of, of reality that I, I don't quite understand. But in, in order to be that good at being good, you have to, you have to, um, feed that habit. And, and the problem with that is then you lose the ability to discriminate, uh, between what it is that you're doing. You just become the person who is good at being good at things. And then you start to put the same amount of effort into deciding what pair of socks to put on in the morning or you know which loaf of bread to buy at the grocery store uh, so that you can get the best uh, unit cost. And this is where we enter the realm of analysis paralysis. And I will argue that this need, this, this I can't think of the word, this, this culturing of the skill set to be the best at everything um, is a slippery slope because it then becomes a habit that we apply uh, carte blanche or, you know, across the boards in all of our uh, elements of our life. It's an exa- an analogy would be, um, somebody who's in really, really, really good shape. Now I know a lot of people that are sort of become obsessed with fitness and, and they get, well, I used the word before fanatical about it and yeah, they look great and they're probably uh, very healthy and they have the right amount of body fat and they eat the right diet and all those things. But in order to preserve that state of near perfection, you have to spend so much of your energy doing it that you become fanatical about it. And then you become obsessed with it. And then it becomes the magazines that you're reading about and the podcasts that you're listening to. And it's just sort of a, for some people, and I, myself included, it's easy to become obsessed with these sort of things. And sometimes it's actually required to be the best. And then once you, once you, um, uh, manicure that skill set, it then becomes difficult not to to spread it out to, into all elements of your lives. Not only now, I mean, you see the benefits. I, I put in this level of effort. I get this um, level of results. And this is amazing. I'm going to do this to, in everything that I do in my life. Well, you can't. And, and, and I'll argue, and you know this, you don't have to. You know, some of these things don't matter, but but as we become more and more fanatical, as we become more and more obsessed with achievement, um, we lose the ability to prioritize the different parts of our lives in an effort to be good at all of them. You can't maximize everything. <laughs> you know, if there's a take-home message, you can't. 
you know, that it's finite, it's not sustainable. And that's an, another element of this is sustainability. So in order to live a healthy, let's say, enlightened life, life lives, we, um, we have to uh, include a sustainability effort. Sure, you can graduate a four-year college with a perfect grade point average, but no one's going to argue that that doesn't take a toil on your system. You are struggling, most people, studying hard. You're probably putting in a maximum 110% on that x-axis of effort to, to guarantee that you're going to get the maximum output over here, and you're probably operating way out on that asymptote somewhere where you're just burning the candle at both ends. And if you, you know, if you have burned the candle at both ends before, you know exactly what I mean. You cannot do that indefinitely. It is a simple function of human nature. Even people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, those guys understand this. At some point, you burn out. Um, and you cannot sustainably put in uh, all of your energy into all of your baskets. You can do it in the short term, and that's the and that's the that's the problem. It looks like it works on some short time scales. You know, you see people that are getting you know whatever. Like I said in, in, in my advertisement in the beginning, you see people that are getting ten thousand new followers on Twitter a week or whatever. Or you see people um, who are climbing up the corporate ladder. You see people who are being successful and making lots of money and, and having nice cars. You you see these things, and you, and they talk about the hustle and they you know they talk about the tricks and it's all but it's all hard work. Um, you know I listened to a podcast recently about um, one of the, the the guy from Flip and Flop that TV show where they would buy houses and fix them up and then sell them and make money. Tarek something, and um, he talked about you know working. Um, 22 hours a day and sleeping less than four hours every night for a really long time and making five to 700 phone calls a day and just hustle, hustle, hustle. And he ended up getting cancer and he, you know, I don't know the reality of this, but attributes his lifestyle to that burnout. And you've heard this a million times of people sort of driving themselves to the point of decreasing their health because they're achieving at such a high level. It isn't sustainable. I will argue this to the, to the end of time. And I have had people argue w- with me about this before. You have to balance things just because of the type of organism that we are. We don't have it in us to run on, on 100% for very long. We have to have a, a cool-down period, a recuperation period. You have to feed the machine. It just simply will not operate I used to use this analogy when we when we were running the brewery. We had this sort of shoddy, cobbled-together bunch of brewing equipment, and we tried to run that thing like it was a brand-new state-of-the-art facility. And what happened is everything was breaking, and problems were just compounding on one another. And sure, there were weeks where we would run it, and it would look like it was working great, and we were meeting our numbers and achieving our goals. And then invariably something would happen to shut that back down. And if you look at the you know a six-month or a one-year period, we really were – because we had so much downtime, we were less productive than we would have been if we would have gone slow and steady. You know, slow and steady wins the race, the tortoise and the hare. Uh, Aesop's fable. It's just true. I don't, I don't think over any sustainable long-term scenario, you can operate at that level of achievement. So we have to learn to prioritize. And a, and a great example of this, and probably the, 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 the actual moment that I learned this where cost-benefit analysis and this whole idea of um, 
prioritizing our energy by, you know, ranking our value systems and deciding where to put our energy and, and knowing when to back off when we're trying too hard to do something and, and, and accepting, you know, a 90% grade on a test versus a hundred percent grade. I went into my, um, master's degree advisor. I went into his office to ask him some silly, you know, question, some graduate student, silly thing that didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And at the time he was the department head of a pretty big, you know, I think there were something like 50 faculty and thousands of students in, in a big department in a, in a pretty big state university in Virginia. Um, not, not, and, and, you know, a, a big job. Um, and he had a lot on his mind. And I, at, th- at that time I didn't really appreciate it, I guess is my point. I was in my own little microcosm, uh, my world and didn't really think about his, but, um, uh, I, I received a gift that day when I, I, I don't know how uh, I observed this. I had some pretty bad news for him. One of his research sites was getting ready to get logged. And it was a, you know, his career research site where I think he'd planned on um, doing studies, you know, as long as he would be there. So it was a pretty significant thing. And, and I was pretty casual about it and just sort of told him that it was going to happen. And I remember him sort of putting his hand on his face and slowly dragging it down and I could just tell that he was thinking. And while he was, you know, it was an exaggerated, like, slow movement. And I'm just sort of, like, in this awkward silence watching it happen. And in that moment, I had this vision. And it wasn't so much a vision as it was just a realization. That at that time, he had, you know, some number of small fires burning in his office. And there was, you know, some in the corners that were, you know, some that were different sizes and but different distances away from where he was sitting. And there was a handful of them on his desk and there was some of them farther away on the desk and some of them, right. You know, so like he was eating dinner, right. Like where a dinner plate would be right in front of him. And I realized at that time, you know, and sort of the hand on the desk, you know, I sort of saw him take that fire and put it further away. And then he calmly stopped. And then we resumed our conversation as, as if it had never happened. And what I realized that he was, what, what, what I see this as meaning is that he had any number of things to consider as the department head, one of which was, you know, my particular you know, problem at that moment, which was whatever level of priority or whatever level of concern. Um, but he also had all these other things going on. Oh, and he had also just told me about, you know, some issues that he had with, um, with a couple of the faculty that he had to deal with. So I, that, that idea was already set, that he had multiple responsibilities. And what I learned in that minute is, you know, what made him good at what he did and what his job was is to be aware, and probably he would be made painfully aware of all the fires by other people, and then also fires that he had to become aware of on his own accord. And all of those fires had a different priority, in, in the world from, from the departmental and university level. And it was his job to rank them and to deal with them or assign them to people to deal with them based on the intensity and the time frame and all these other things that ended up going into the priority calculation. And he was amazingly good. And I would learn this in spades over the years of working with him. Once I sort of realized this, I got to watch him do it that what made him good at being a department head was being able to do that and being able to fairly accurately identify. And, you know, he was wrong sometimes when a problem needed to be dealt with, you know, in what order, by whom, um, 
And that was just such a tremendous life lesson. And I'm not saying I'm excellent at it, but I am aware that it's something that I think we need to do as people. Um, you know, and it starts with creating a value system of rules. You know, he had rules of what it was to be a department head. He had to deal with X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three. He had to deal with all these things. Um, and all of those things had various levels of importance in the grand scheme of things and, and, and at smaller scales, you know. Um, somebody needing a telephone in their office was an immediate 100% need right now priority problem for that person. But in the grand scheme of how things were operating for the for the more global unit of a you know a department in a college uh, in a university, it wasn't that big of a deal. And it was his responsibility. It was cool. It was really neat to sort of that's how politics should work, right? You have people who are just really good. At, at sorting these things out and assigning them and dealing with things. And, um, and so I, I am aware that that's something I need to do in my life, but it begins with that set of rules. And I was, I was trying to talk to my older daughter about this and how to decide your major. It's like you have to identify, say out loud, write down your likes, dislikes, um, your, your dreams, your ideas, your wants, your needs, and sort of convert them into some sort of operating manual of, of what I call values. And I'm not sure that's an actual description of, of things that you stand for. You know, what are your values? And, and to me, a value system helps me prioritize things. And it gives me a, a reference sheet of how I want to prioritize things. And I view this as concentric circles. So you've got the center uh, which is me, um, and then uh, oh, the next largest, which is probably a point because it's a, just me, and then a circle around that. That's my immediate family, my kids, and my my spouse. And then another circle around that. That's my extended family, my parents, and my siblings. And then a circle around that. That's my friends and acquaintances. Circle around that. Maybe it's your coworkers. Um, you know, and and within that hierarchy, I can assign my values. You know, certainly. Me at the center, I have a lot of individual values, but I also have values associated with those different things. And and that distance away from me uh, gives me sort of a ranking quantification or measurement system for the priority. If, you know, and for me, I said that a lot, um, one of my problems or neuroses or, or issues that I deal with every day is my need to please people. And one of the ways I started to deal with that was realize that if this was a matter of hurting someone's feelings at the drive-through at Wendy's, how well I needed to treat them or how severely I needed to be affected by them was lower than my sister, was lower than a coworker, was lower than my spouse. And of course the reverse is true. Um, and so I didn't, you know, and my, my big thing was having my feelings hurt by something somebody said. The classic example is somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're angry at them. Um, and one of the things I would do is like, what did I do? Why, why are they mad at me? And how does that reflect negatively on me? And so I would sort of ruminate about how I'm a bad person because this person is angry at me. And so that's, that's the important part. Now, I don't have to worry about that with somebody who's not even an acquaintance, so I, that I use that as a tool to help me remember that that's about them and not about me. And really, in, in the context of my value system, it matters very little to me 
if I did actually do something wrong, you know, it still matters to a certain point, but I'm not going to beat myself up or I'm not going to ruminate about it. I'm not going to let it ruin my day. Now, if this is something that happens to one of my kids, okay, this is an issue we might need to discuss and, and push forward. But, but at the same time, remember that um, they're them and I'm me. Uh, but there might be some de- degree of responsibility that I have. And because it's a high value, then it might be something that I spend some of my energy on. But the importance there is it gives you like a ranking system for your energetic expenditures. And you can do that sort of thing for all of your different values. Um, 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 yeah, I, I don't want to go through, because I, I haven't thought about it, all, all my different values and what can be valued. That's a whole separate exercise that I think is, compl- is, is very worthwhile in setting your priorities so that you can learn how to divvy up your daily energetic expenditures and to help ensure that you're not wasting because really, anything past that asymptotic curve, arguably, is wasted energy. And that's the, you know, the, the, the I guess one of the main things is with the cost-benefit curve um, or the law of diminishing returns is to show you maybe when you're not putting in enough effort, or maybe you know maybe the answer to your problem is that you're not trying hard enough. That's a, that's a scenario where you're operating sort of down in the corner near the origin. Or based on your value system, maybe that is just enough. And then if you're operating way far out on the right side of that curve, maybe you're, you know, it's time to, to, to realize that you need to pull that back in and try a different strategy. And so the, the gross, you know, there's three big sections of that uh, diminishing returns curve. And one is where you're operating way down at the bottom and maybe your satisfaction is low just because you're really not trying hard enough. You know, it's like all of my kids have this thought that, oh, there's a skateboard. I want a skateboard. I'll just get on the skateboard and I'll be good. They get on and then they're not very good and then their satisfaction level is really low and they quit. And it's like, well, that's that's operating down in that corner. You have to practice. You have to put some time in. You have to do some effort before you're going to see any kind of return. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, but the, the opposite is the scarier part is where you're just sort of beating your head against the wall, um, throwing everything you've got at this thing and it's not getting any better. Well, maybe that's because you've, you've exhausted the limits of that relationship, um, between those two things or with that person even. And, uh, um, and, and then the next part is that inflection point. There's some point at which the amount of energy you put in is equivalent to the amount of reward or benefit that you get out of it. And I would argue that's the most efficient from a cost perspective place to operate. And of course that will move up and down and you know, the, the scales and the magnitude of all these things are different. And that's also influenced by what kind of priority it is. Maybe you're the best sweeper in the world uh, and your floor is cleaner as far as particulates matter being on it than ever because you're just such an awesome sweeper. Um, you know, do you really want to try sweeping harder or more often to get a little bit better at that? Uh, if it's your thing, I guess, but maybe communication with your kids is something that you should work on, um, with some of that energy that you would otherwise spend sweeping. I don't know. Um, but the question I, I originally talked about in the title of this episode is enough. And I think the end of all of that is your reward, your benefit on the y-axis. Where do you want to be? Um, so in this prioritization and value exercise, it's a matter of how 
high a priority this is. If it's a high priority, you probably want to maximize that enough. Uh, But if it's not a very high priority and you've decided that it's something that maybe you need to cut back on the amount of expenditure, energetic expenditures you have in order to create some um, luxury energy that you can spend on something else, maybe enough is a little lower than you thought. Maybe your floor, if there's a couple of little dusty balls in the corner of your kitchen floor, maybe that's okay. Maybe you don't have to stop everything you're doing and sweep the entire house to get that little dust bunny out of the corner. Maybe the answer to that problem, if it bothers you, is to figure out why it bothers you and learn to lower the enough threshold on the x-axis of the, or the y-axis of the sweeping relationship that you have. I would argue that's, that's where a lot of us could do our work. Um, you know, I, I kind of obsess over mowing grass, um, but it also bothers me a lot because I mean, it's just a silly thing. Um, but at some point, you know, it is annoying to walk over really high grass in the morning when your feet get wet and or whatever. And it looks nice when it's mowed, but I am not (laughs) going to spend any more time than the absolute minimum required to do it. I don't need to be the best lawnmower. I don't need to have the highest cost gear and equipment. Um, I want it to be, you know, relatively painless. Um, you know, so I've, I've created, you know, I see the extent of both axes in that case. And I have learned to operate with, within a very narrow, uh, window of what that enough is. Uh, and because my enough with the mowing isn't higher, I have more time. I have more money because I didn't have to invest it in all this fancy equipment. I've done that very frugally. You know, I, I've, I've, I've learned to carve out a nice little balance point where the amount of time I spend on it isn't displeasing. Um, and the result of how the yard looks and all those other things in the house and blah, blah, um, is fine. It's fine. Some things fine is good, <laughs> you know, other things it's not, um, same things I see people, you know, spending too, too much time on. Of course, that's me judging other people. It's not my place to tell you or anybody else where to assign these values and what priorities are higher than others. Uh, but one of the ways I think that costs was our part, my old business partnership struggled is we had such disparate ideas of what the priorities were. Mine were, were really more economics based. We need to spend the least amount of money to get the highest amount of return. And I managed that business to operate or I tried to manage the business to operate at that level. Other partners in that business were not so concerned about the expenditures, um, and the measures of their returns were odd to me because they didn't measure money directly. It was sort of like if, and I'm, I'm trying to say this without any judgment, but if more people liked our brand, that would translate through multiple steps to more money. So if we spend time and money on our image and our brand and marketing and basically, but, but not in the traditional sense, 
um, then that will trickle down to show us some result. And I just I couldn't get behind that just because of the the multiple levels of of of, of tr- transformation that have to happen. It's not as simple as if I you know spend a thousand dollars less on beer ingredients and operate with a lower level of inventory will actually sell the same amount of beer and therefore have more profit. I mean, those are the types of things that I was measuring, and so that didn't work out because of the, our value systems and what we believed. Um, this is something you have to do on sort of a concentric circle basis for you and your immediate family, I would argue, is the most important. Um, you know, do, do, do your own thing. Maybe your relationship with your business partners or your bosses is your highest priority, and that's where you're going to assign those, those, those energetic allotments. <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to, right? It's budgeting. <laughs> it's all just simple economics. It's like you have to accept that there's an energetic budget. And you're only going to have so much. There's a time budget. You only have so many years. Um, make that list. Uh, and, and I think that will translate to prioritizing your life and figuring out what is enough in each one of those categories. And using a relationship like cost-benefit analysis, I think, is is huge. And to go back to that happiness factor, it's like, I know for me, myself, I need to actually spend some more energy and categories like my relationships with my close friends, um, my uh, pursuit of mindfulness and meditation, I need to learn to carve out time and put energy into those categories to get that enough up higher. Because right now I'm operating in the very small, low corner, and my effort is so small that the return is tiny. And I need that return to be, be more because it isn't enough right now. But in order to do that, I got to borrow resources from somewhere else. And what that tells me is that um, um, in the in the categorical comparison of where I spend my energy in all these different places, I'm spending too much somewhere else. And and, that, and really, now this is the perhaps the the um, emergent um, concept from this particular podcast. That's how we get back time. My biggest issues with not meeting my enoughs for some of these things like meditation uh, or playing music or whatever is because I don't have, I don't see myself as having the time and that's related to energy. In order to cut, carve that time out, I have to put an effort into doing that. I got to say, I got to discipline, I got to create a new habit. I'm spending too much energy somewhere else. And personally, I, I waste a lot of energy um, um, just doing nothing. Uh, not budgeting my time and not taking advantage of planning ahead and carving out time to do things. That's, and that energy is spent in that, that this weird pool of, I don't know what I'm doing. Part of that is having a four-year-old when you have a four-year-old around, you sort of have to always be at least nearby to manage anything, even, or, or, or more often spending all of your energy playing or, or doing whatever, uh, they're meeting their needs, but there are all the, you know, that's an excuse. There's also, there's a way to carve out more time, but you have to borrow from these other things. And so if you are the type of person that has to maximize, you know, double good everything for everything that you do, because you're a high achiever, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad personality trait, but it's a particular challenge that you have to un- learn where you can take energy from settle for a slightly lower enough uh, result so that you can 
can put that somewhere else so that you have that time, so that you have that energy to put into something else that maybe needs to be boosted up into it enough. And so I, I, I wish I had the, uh, a, a graphic design or animation or skill set to be able to, to lay this all out because I'm starting to see a bigger picture of, you know, where the, the law of diminishing returns is just one component of this hierarchical value system and this energetic budget. You know, it's like this big energy budget that you lay out for yourself and where you identify where you may be spending too much energy and you identify areas where you are not spending enough energy and you, you seek to balance those things out. And I really think that that's going to help reduce anxiety. Um, um, that's going to get us away from analysis paralysis. It's going to make make us more mindful of the things that we do. It's it's an important exercise that, I, that I, I need to delve into more. And I appreciate you um, letting me have the time to work through that because what started off as just a very simple economic relationship to me has sort of arrived at a, a point that's much bigger uh, and that's much more clear and that I may be able to organize into a more useful product one day. Um, so I hope that you under, you know, you probably already understood the law of diminishing returns, but these simple rules that stand the test of multiple disciplines and different examples, uh, and have, have, um, exceptions, but not many, but tend to be, tend to work more often than not. These, these laws, these, whatever you call them, um, are, can be very useful in sort of thinking about how we live our daily lives. And I hope that that helps you in some way sort of target what is enough for the different elements of your life, uh, like it does mine. And, um, yeah, thanks for paying attention. And again, to podcast listeners, I'm sorry. Hopefully you know what the figure looks like and maybe I described it well enough where you could envision or maybe you can go look it up online if you just Google Law of Dimension Returns. You'll get all kinds of different pictures of what this looks like. So that's been fun. I'm looking forward to next time. Thanks for paying attention. And remember, if you like the podcast, you can subscribe to them at all those different places uh, or you can you know, like my videos or leave a comment or go to my webpage. Uh, and it would be cool to start to see people do that because that identifies that we are a community. Um, and it will help me sort of gauge, uh, but certainly at the very least it will improve the product and it'll be a fun little study. <laughs> I'm Chris Bircher. This is knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. I will see you next week. Thanks guys.